Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Well, we've managed to reach the end of yet another tumultuous week. The migrants have been in the news all week. We'll be talking about that. Uh, there's another NHS strike on junior doctors once more out for four days. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Another nice long weekend. I wonder how many of them have jetted off uh, to parts unknown uh, for the weekend because uh, why not? Why not do nothing at all, uh, despite the fact that you're paid a reasonable amount of money to help people get better in the NHS? We'll be talking to Professor Carol Sakura. Richard Tice is here. Uh, we're going to be touching upon the problems with the economy. We learned this morning uh, that one in seven shops in every high street uh, is now basically running empty. Uh, and that's because of COVID. It's because of a failure of the high street to recover. It's because of an awful lot of people working from home. I mean, the great ignominy this week, one of my favourite stories, was the people who actually started the Zoom organisation organisation, uh, which is largely responsible for people working from home, actually started telling people who work for Zoom to get back in the office. Extraordinary. 03444991000 is the number. We're going to talk about the state of the nation and the economy. We've got Wilco shutting down. People are saying to me it's very similar uh, back to 2008 when Woolworths was shut down and it was a bit of a harbinger of bad things to come in the economy. People tell me the banking sector is teetering very much on the edge. Uh, they've also said, of course, that they're going to put down interest rates. There's mortgage rates being cut. Uh, there's a rates war going on. People are trying to buy houses. Uh, houses are getting cheaper. There's an awful lot to discuss this morning. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. There's plenty of police stories as well. There's a rather strange one uh, up in West Yorkshire where seven, count them, seven different police officers were called uh, to the home of somebody who was an autistic uh, teenager because the autistic teenager had said something that upset some of the police officers. And they're uh, in the dock over that. Henry Bolton's here. Uh, we're going to talk to the people organising um, a demonstration tomorrow down in Bexhill in Sussex uh, against the um, opening... Uh, or the, the rehousing, rather, should we say, of about a 1,000 uh, young migrants into a place which is a very, very residential area, uh, into an old, um, basically an old prison that was used for the military. Also, Hugh Andre is here. Uh, he's going to be bringing us the veteran's voice. And in case you are going on holiday, like Kevin O'Sullivan, Simon Calder will bring you the latest. There's more strikes at Gatwick. There's more train woes. It's all going on. This is, of course, the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let's get it on.
Well, I mean, we did have a nice summer's day yesterday, but that seems to have passed. Richard Tice is here. Um, we're still smiling there, Richard. I suppose we're still trying to smile. Yeah. I mean, there's a little bit of blue sky out there. Maybe there that is... was the summer. Maybe it's come and gone. It could have done. Um, but, of course, the problem that we have is that every week we wait to the same news, don't we? There's more migrants now coming than ever before. 100,000 is the number we're told. Uh, I think yesterday was another new record, 750. Um, we're going to talk about that later. But also we're going to talk about another junior doctor's strike. Four more days, more delays. More it's cancellations. Sort of, there's, there's so many strikes everywhere mm. from the various public services that actually it's barely newsworthy. Uh, unless, of course, sadly, you're due to have yeah. uh, some uh, a medical intervention, well, an operation to, yeah. or something, in which case the likelihood it's going to be postponed or cancelled Exactly. I mean, I talk, to, I talk to people who are trying to travel around the country all the time. Uh, my son went up to uh, Manchester this week to try and have a look at a university course. You know, incredible difficult time getting there and back on the roads of this country. There's too many lorries, too many cars, too many traffic jams. And, and, hours, well, now and you've got to worry about airplanes landing and, on uh, dual An airplane that landed on the A4. What a miracle. I mean, incredible. But, but, but yeah, it's just... I mean, everything is so difficult now, isn't it? Everything is so much more hard to do, it seems. And it seems that it's pretty hard for the economy to grow as well, mm. because the latest numbers out for the second quarter of this year from the ONS shows that, yes, the economy has grown by a brilliant 0.2% yes. over uh, a quarter. That's great. So following on from 0.1% in the first quarter, uh, Jeremy Hunt seems to be celebrating that essentially, uh, yes, OK, we're, we're spluttering mm. just above recession. Let's remind everybody who wants to blame Brexit yeah. that actually the Eurozone and Germany have been in recession. Yes. Germany is still in recession. Yeah. But look, uh, 20 years ago... Well, they're trying to get Harry Kane over to... Well, they're having to try and boost their prospects. Yeah. So good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the reality is we, you know, it's easy to forget... 20 years ago, our economy was regularly growing yeah. at between 2.5% and 4% right. every single year. And what so was if you just double that? this 0.3%, mm. you get a great 0.6%, yeah. 0.7%. I mean, this is feeble, it's anemic, yeah. and it's got nothing to do with Brexit. I get that out straight away. Mm. It's all to do with high taxes, high useless, wasteful government spending, yeah. productivity going through the world. And as you just touched on... People working from home, mm. well, doing, doing yoga classes. It will come as no surprise to you that I was listening this morning to a government minister talking on the BBC uh, who kept going on about Brexit being to blame and even he wasn't going to go for that. But he was talking an awful, an awful lot about um, the productivity levels of the public sector, suggesting that the productivity levels of the public sector are now so low that it's kind of knocking everything into the negative. And, and of course, that's right. It's, it's basically obvious mm. that if you increase state spending, and you raise taxes, you're taking money out of the innovative, creative, productive part of the economy yeah. that drives activity and growth and oomph. And therefore, we shouldn't be surprised when we hear uh, that the high street is struggling mm. desperately. Uh, you know, thousands and thousands of shops have been shutting yeah. every month uh, and every six months every year. I think last year, some 17,000 stores closed in 2022, I read. Some very famous names that we all... Uh, we all know, and for many people, they were sort of the bedrock mm. of high streets, whether mm. it was the House of Fraser, whether it was yeah, that's Debenhams, uh, you know, Top Shop, Top Man, all of yeah. these, these brands. Wilco's now gone. Wilco's I mean, gone. It's interesting. I mean, I'm looking at a piece of the Times today, the GB vacancy rate. I don't know what it's like elsewhere in the world, but we're currently running at around 13.9% vacancies in shops, which is quite high. It's, it's huge, and it has such a debilitating effect on the high street in, in many, many ways. Mm. And it's, it's high for a couple of reasons. Obviously, uh, with the impact of the internet and uh, home deliveries, mm. 
therefore, that uh, if you're running a, a business from a warehouse, you don't have to pay right. the expensive high street yeah. rates. Uh, councils that have imposed yeah. expensive uh, parking charges. Yes. Business That's rates the other thing you notice, rates. Right? If, you, if you travel around the country, there's giant warehouses now, which are literally the size of small towns, just on the sides of motorways. That's right. You know, and you wonder what on earth's going on. And then you think, all of these people getting uh, home deliveries, is that the reason why there's so much there's, traffic on the roads? There's thousands and thousands of trucks delivering stuff to your absolutely house. Absolutely right. And so, uh, but they're paying very much lower business rates. Right. And so it, it's basically this huge disparity. It's, it's basically unfair, which is why I've been saying for many years that you should increase the business rates for these large uh, online delivery yeah. logistics warehouses right. and re- dramatically reduce the business rates for the high street mm. to try and create a more level playing field. Yeah. Because high streets are the bedrock of so many well, communities. Well, they really are. And, and whether it's, you know, the, the extraordinary, horrific scenes we saw this uh, just a couple of nights ago in uh, Oxford yeah. Street, uh, it, you look at that, and Oxford Street, there are, it's full of empty shops, mm. It's full of candy shops yeah. that nobody wants, right. uh, that doesn't pay any rents, and there's all sorts yeah, of other I mean, related I, I, scandals around that. I was saying that. this yesterday, when I was growing up in London, I, grew, I lived, lived not that far from Oxford Street, you'd go to Oxford Street as a kind of special treat to go and find a shop that was only in Oxford Street. Absolutely. And it was like a, a, a big deal, and you'd have to go buy a new outfit for, for a job or something like that. That's where you would go. That's where you would go, but it's in a dire, dire strait. Mm. And uh, M&S, for example, Marks & Spencer, they want to redevelop their historic yes. flagship store uh, to create huge investment. And that genius, Michael, Michael Gove, Gove yeah. has prevented them from a huge yeah, the dead hand. £100 million pound the dead multi, hand of, multi-million pound yeah. investment. The dead uh, hand of Michael Gove reaches into all sorts of places. It really does. And so what happens is all, all of these empty shops, I mean, you go there now, you will see dozens and dozens of people, uh, homeless people, it's basically sheltering yeah. uh, outside these shops overnight on Oxford Street. Yeah. And it's really shocking. And so it's a, uh, sadly, it's a catalogue of decline. Yeah. And uh, and then we're seeing the sort of completely sort of feral activity mm. of you who yeah. think they can just uh, roam up and down these, uh, these high streets with impunity, yeah. with no fear of any consequences. And when they fancy it, just... Yeah, just run into well, one let's shop not forget, and get a whole load of Let's stuff. not forget also, it's not just in London, it's outside of London where some of these um, uh, closings of shops are, are felt even more uh, badly because you'll see in every um, high street now, you'll see a charity shop growing up, uh, you'll see one of these Turkish barbers. You and you'll, know, see, you'll see lots of Turkish extent, barbers. Most people will, will say is a sort of money laundry exercise. But when the, 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 the growth rates were higher, 2 to 4%, why was that? What was the growth that we were seeing then that we're not seeing now? It's very simple because... The, the the total tax take was less than thirty percent. Right. Okay, back in the late nineteen nineties. Mm. I mean, and and the government when they handed over to Tony Blair, they handed over a a high growth economy with a very strong uh, balance sheet, and it was it was lowly taxed, mm. and and you know we didn't have unlimited huge quantities of low skilled immigration, and yeah. and we know the reality that. Uh, what you're seeing now, you've had mass immigration for 15 years. Yeah. Even the Office for Budget Responsibility admits that that has led to almost no growth mm. per head. Yeah. Uh, and all that's happened is taxes have gone up, wasteful, unproductive government spending's gone up. Uh, government spending now is uh, a whisker under half of the size of the right. economy. And so we're in a terrible, terrible state. And mm. we're not alone. You're seeing it across much of 
the EU as well. And let's not forget that, you know, for years and years and years, we here at Talk TV and previously as Talk Radio were um, sort of, you know, lambasted for making immigration a big deal, for talking about it when nobody else did. You know, the idea that now we're, we're paying out £6 million a day in taxpayers' money uh, to fund these hotels... God knows what else we're going to be paying out over the course of the coming year. 100,000 people have now come. 750 people came yesterday alone. You know, finally, uh, the BBC and others have woken up to this actually being a story. But they still don't really understand what it is about the story that people are upset about. I'm going to be talking later on in the show uh, to a guy from Bexhill where they want to put um, more migrants into this uh, former military prison. Um, and the, the people are up in arms. They're having another demonstration this weekend. Ordinary people don't want it. Well, here's the point, that actually uh, good, ordinary, concerned communities up and down the country are, are really anxious about this. The impact on the community, the job losses in, in their respective towns, villages, when hotels get shut, 50 to 100 yeah. people get laid off, made redundant from every single hotel. And all of a sudden, uh, 100 to 200 uh, young men uh, mm. just suddenly appear with essentially nothing to do, just sort of uh, meander around yeah. the high street, mm. and the whole thing is uh, it's 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 deeply deeply mm. troubling, and it's causing huge huge uh, anxiety and uh, concern, and, and people are genuinely genuinely mm. fearful. Of course they are, and there's no reason why they shouldn't be. The idea that all these kind of metropolitan liberals sit around in Kensington and go, I don't know what you're worried about. It's absolutely fine. Uh, well, it isn't fine, actually. Uh, this is Talk TV. I'm Mike Graham. Richard Tice is with me. We'll be back with more after this. On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Just before we carry on, Richard, I've got a list of some of the, uh, the, the chains that are closing down in the high street. Argos, Boots, Clintons, Iceland, Weatherspoons, and now Wilco. I mean, if you're in a town that's, uh, you know, medium size, 100,000 people, say, like the numbers of people who happen to have arrived here illegally, um, you can take out all of those, yeah, um, and, those and, shops. And, and where and are you going to go? Uh, many of those are, they're reducing their, their yeah. sort of total number of shops. They're mm. not actually the businesses closing. No. But, except, uh, except Wilco. But, uh, yeah, the, the reality is, for too many of them, the combination of uh, rents that are too high, mm. business rates where councils have tried to raise them too high, yeah. and it's just becoming yeah. uncompetitive. And so businesses are, are shutting down and yeah. high streets are declining. And I, I'm really concerned about just the growth of these the barbers' shops, yeah. the growth of the candy yeah. shops. And the reality is they're not paying any business rates very often uh, they are fronts for money laundering and mm. there's got to be a full proper mm. look at that and I'm yeah. going to keep banging the drum on that. And local councils must have a role to play in that as well because they Huge. must be giving planning permission to these people to open up. But let's talk just briefly once more about the migrant thing because it has been a big week and we are talking to Henry Bolton about it later on but the Bibby Stockholm has proved to be yet another kind of you know sideshow, hasn't it? And it's not really going to solve anything. It's well, probably well, never going to be full of any, anybody. But actually of course the reality is it, it was going to be more than filled up just by yesterday's mm. arrivals alone. Well, 750 were waiting for the, for the exact Can you number. I mean, not enough room in one barge for the people that arrived in one day. We, we always knew this was uh, the case. I mean, the whole thing has been a sort of a, a distraction yeah. and a sideshow from the reality, which is the government has utterly failed mm. to protect our borders. Mm. That's the bottom line. They are wasting huge, huge sums of our cash yeah. and the backlog grows. And what I can say is just to give you a little sort of heads up, yes. right, is that there is going to be an exclusive that I'm going to be revealing on Sunday morning. Okay. So watch this space. I should look forward to that. Yeah, absolutely look Sunday forward to that. Sunday sermon as well, The of Sunday course. sermon mm. will be an absolute blockbuster. Yeah. 
uh, it would be a real sizzler. There's, there's so much to go at. Mm. I might have to do a double sermon. <laughs> God, heaven, I mean, heaven knows, I might even have to get you involved just yeah, to help along. I mean, anything could happen. It could, it could be possible. I mean, I may be available at the weekend. I'm not sure yet. I'd have to ask the dog and <laughs> see if I can dog. be spared. From you might be going walking. for a walk along the sea. It could well be because I was, I was in Edinburgh last week, as you were. Actually, I should ask you about yes. that because we both appeared uh, opposite Alex Salmon uh, with uh, David Davis to argue a case, both of which we lost, only because I'd have to say the partisan nature of the crowd who were oh, all Alex I mean, Salmon's the crowd let's be re- re- clear Edinburgh is remain essential yeah. so to go there yes. uh, into the sort of the, the teeth of the uh, the teeth of the battle yes. so to speak to argue that Brexit is a great opportunity oh. which obviously is what I did argue and whereas Alex was trying to say that it's a, a disaster right. Uh, I was not particularly well received when I said the only disaster I could see standing in yeah. Scotland was the complete disastrous mismanagement yes. by the SMP by the of the SMP. Scottish health Absolutely system right. and uh, education well, system. I was, I was arguing, it didn't get down very well. I was arguing, fair enough, against the right of uh, public sector workers to strike, which is particularly opposite given that the doctors are out again today for four more days. Um, and Alex said to me yesterday on this show that I was doing fine until right near the end when I started <laughs> to slag off every single public sector worker in the audience. Um, they all voted against me. But we won the moral high ground against Mick Lynch, who brought in a couple of flying pickets with him uh, to start shouting at me and heckling me throughout my, my appearance. So, you know, he didn't come for dinner afterwards, either proving once and for all that socialists are not very sociable. I mean, that's absolutely you know. right. No, so um, it was, but it was, look, it was a great experience and it was, there were some very nice lots of, I mean, they're terribly woke up in Edinburgh. Well, I they mean, are. so woke. Oh, yeah. You've never seen so many flags of all yeah. sorts of colours. I lost track of all I've the different rainbow colours. I upset them with the use of a particular word, which I'll tell you about uh, later. <laughs> uh, but there we are. But let's talk a bit about the doctors, because here we are again. We've been told already that something like 750,000 uh, um, procedures have been halted and, and postponed as a result of these strikes. I mean, when are they going to realise that people do not sympathise with them? They just don't. I, I think that's right. And, we, you know, they're putting forward a their case, but... The, their pay demand of yeah. 35% is, is just patently absurd. It just lacks any credibility. Yes. And so not unsurprisingly, the government have, have essentially sort of uh, said to them, look, this is, this is just not a credible, sensible way to approach things. Mm. And I think they've lost the sort of sympathy that one would normally expect them to, to have. And there is actually a huge range. The, the word junior doctor is a it's a bit of a misnomer, it is a misnomer. because because well, you as is the BMA, be, the British it, Medical Association, it, it should be called the, it should be called the BMU because yeah. it's a union. Yeah, it's not actually some form of association it of really goodness. Isn't. Uh, so, but you you can be a junior doctor of, of six months standing, but also of ten years standing. So there's a vast right. range yeah. across it. But I don't think they're helping themselves. And meanwhile, one of Rishi Sunak's key five pledges which is to bring waiting lists down, actually the exact opposite mm. is happening. Mm. As every month goes by, the list is going up by 100,000 plus. Yeah. And that's the official list. What people don't uh, perhaps appreciate is that there is a huge million, multi-million long list of people. Basically, there's a waiting list to join the waiting list. Yeah. And there is active things going on that goes on within the NHS mm. to, another, to delay you before you join the waiting yeah. list. Uh, this is all complete. And it's nonsense. Madness. I mean, looking at the numbers of people who wait for four hours or more, even just in A&E, um, it's been ridiculously high and has gone up every single year since 2020. Now, you can't tell me that that's the government's fault. You know, I just refuse to believe it. The people running the NHS need to stand up and be counted and admit that they don't know what they're doing. 
Because uh, here's something that will not surprise you. Dr. Robert Lawrenson, co-chairman of the Junior Doctors Committee at the BMA, has basically said that despite the fact that in Scotland junior doctors have accepted a government um, pay increase of 12.4%, he says they would not accept it here because the governments are very different. <laughs> and that tells you all you need to know. It's not about money, it's not about health, it's about government. Uh, th that's right, but we know, even though they've settled that, we know that the health outcomes in Scotland, for yeah. example, uh, they're, wor they're the worst not only in the United oh. Kingdom, they're the worst in the whole of Europe. Yes. And so, uh, in a sense, the Scots have, uh, unfortunately, uh, the Scottish government has got absolutely nothing to crow about. But these waiting lists, they were going up before the strikes. And fundamentally, the NHS needs, needs a total overhaul mm. Well, I've got reform. some even better news for you if you think that it's bad in Scotland. In Wales, right, despite the population being 18 times lower than it is in England, there are 100 times more people waiting for treatment for more than two years in Wales than there are in England. So the Welsh uh, Health Service, run by Labour, is actually an awful lot worse. And this is not me defending the Tories. It's just proving that it's not the Tories who are messing up the NHS. And I think that's, that's the key point, actually. In a sense... It's, it's not actually the political parties. It's the woeful management, mm. waste of resources, wokeness yeah. uh, of the individual services, mm. whether it's in Scotland, Wales, England. They're all failing to a varying catastrophic degree. Yes. And we, we, sh we just shouldn't put up with this mm. anymore. We've got to have fundamental wholesale reform. You've got to use uh, the, the independent private healthcare sector much, much more, which, of course, actually is what happened... 8, 15 mm. to 20 years ago. Yeah. And guess what? The waiting list came tumbling down. And that's one of the bedrocks of uh, our plans to reform it, to get the waiting list down. And we're, we're going to be ambitious. I want zero waiting yeah. lists. No one else talks about zero waiting right. lists. And that is well, a all I key objective. And I know that people will go, well, it's different when you're on holiday. But it really isn't. Whenever I've been on holiday, and inevitably one of my kids, not so much now, but when they were younger, would end up in a clinic or a hospital. Something would happen. They'd fall over, blah, you know. <laughs> um, and, and in every single s situation, it was always better in Spain, in Mexico, in Portugal, in Italy. No matter where you are in the world, uh, if you have to go and get medical treatment while you're away abroad, it's always better than it is here. And that—that th that is the reality. People, you need to stop clinging to the idea that the NHS is the envy of the world. It's not. It's—it's. It's, I mean, it's a sort of—it's a tragedy of the world, frankly. Yeah. And there's a reason why no one else has tried to copy yeah. it in its form. Yeah. And let's not forget—it's—it's it's now the the second or third largest employer in the world. Yeah. After I think the uh, the Chinese army and the Indian railways. But but yet yeah, the the reality deniers, as I like to call them, this is my new phrase for people who are a bit woke and don't understand the truth. Um, they think there's not enough people working there and they think they haven't got enough money. They've got more money than Croesus and they've got more people than any other organisation in Britain. They've never had so much money spent on it. Mm. Uh, the average spend per head is way above the OECD yeah. sort of international average. Uh, and yet actually the, the quality of it... And of course, there are, there are lots of exceptions where there's some great care on the front line. Yeah, but line. they shouldn't be exceptions. But they shouldn't be that exceptions. Should be that should be the aspiration for the norm. Yeah. Absolutely right. You have to set yourself an ambitious target. Yeah. Right, that's the target. How are we going to get there within a modest period of time? I say within two mm. years. And we're going to go for it mm. and achieve it. And no ifs, no buts. No one else is, is, has got that sort of ambition that I've got. No, exactly right. Shocking state of affairs. Anyway, uh, Richard Tice, a very, very enticing show coming up on uh, Sunday. Who can say where it's all going to go? But it's going to be a blockbuster, uh, Richard has assured us. Uh, who knows what special guests might be on it? Uh, nobody can say that at this stage either. But Richard, thank you very much indeed. Have a good weekend. See you on Sunday, 10 o'clock sharp. Uh, this is Talk TV. Professor Sakura of the Carol coming up next.
See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. We are, of course, ladies and gentlemen, in the midst of yet another junior doctor strike. Uh, the apple doesn't fall very far from the old unionised tree, does it? Because uh, we're still dealing with people in the NHS who don't want to work in it because they don't think they're paid enough money. I think an awful lot of people listening and watching this show uh, would argue that that's actually not a very disingenuous point to make because in the end, um, if you're a junior doctor, uh, you could be a new doctor or you could be an old doctor. The word junior is slightly misleading. Many people who work in the NHS are paid much less well than junior doctors uh, and many of them have already accepted a paid and gone back to work, particularly the nurses. An awful lot of doctors are not out on strike um, but, of course, the consultants who make an awful lot more than the junior doctors have also asked for some ludicrous amount of money, 30-plus percent, maybe 35 percent. In Scotland, they've accepted 12 percent. Uh, in this country, they say, no, we're not going to accept that because the governments are different. Let's talk to Professor Carol Sikora, Medical Director at Rutherford Cancer Centres, because uh, we've got waiting lists hitting new high, 7.6 million. Uh, we've got more and more patients waiting longer and longer uh, for cancer treatment, four in 10 now uh, facing longer waits than ever. Um, and now yet another junior doctor strike, uh, and they're costing more and more money every single time they walk out. Uh, Professor Carroll, a very good morning to you. Morning. Morning. It's, a, it's a depressing picture, isn't it, that uh, it's probably all too easy to predict would come uh, to us. It's, it's so depressing, and I've never seen it so bad. You know, Mike, I've been a consultant for an awful long time now, nearly four, well, just over 40 years, and I've never seen the NHS in such a mess. And, uh, you know, there are good people in it. That's the annoying thing. There's good, not just doctors, there are good administrators, there are good managers. I mean, you look at the, I mean, I obviously look at cancer mainly, and I look at the cancer figures, and there's one trust in, in Huddersfield, for goodness sake, where their cancer figures are impeccable. How can this be? What's Huddersfield doing so well? Mm. We've got to find out. Why isn't everybody, the whole of NHS England management, shooting up to Huddersfield? Let's look at what's going I bet what it is, it's some young person straight out of college that is making it their business to sort it out. I'd like to think it was a young person. Maybe it's an old person like me that's just a boring old manager that knows what he's doing. Who knows? But their data is fantastic. Yeah. Well, you know, sadly, people who know what they're doing are in short supply these days, Professor Carroll. And certainly in the NHS, what I always say um, is that it's very clear to me that the people running the NHS are the problem, not the people who actually work at the front line. You know, the doctors, the nurses, the clinicians, probably the, the paramedics and the anaesthetists and all of those people who come into work to do an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. Most of them who, by the way, did not go out on strike, even though some of their colleagues did. They're all doing the best they can do, and my, I take my hat off to them. But the vast majority of people, and it's more than 50% in the NHS who do not do clinical jobs, are the problem. You're right. And uh, they don't have enthusiasm. They depress enthusiasm in others. You know, people go into it really full of enthusiasm at all levels, whatever. They, even healthcare assistants, when they go into it, they're enthusiastic. And it, it's tempered. Well, you by go the, in because you want to help people, presumably, don't you? Exactly. And they see all this waste, waste of management, waste of time, you know, all this nonsense about what you call women. Mm. I mean, why are people wasting time talking about people of childbirth potential mm. instead of calling them women? Yeah, I know. It beggars belief, doesn't it? And of course, the worst news of all for people, and I talk to people every day about this, whether they send me tweets or messages or they call up, you know, um, I heard yesterday from Isabel Oakshot that she has a friend who got a private referral 
uh, for a, um, uh, an operation that they needed to have on their uh, their abdomen in some way. Uh, the private referral was not accepted by the NHS on the grounds that it was private. And so the friend had to then go back to the GP and the NHS and get another referral, thereby delaying things even more. And if you've got a problem, I think in this case it was a lump of some kind, then, you know, why can't the two just work together? I know. It, it's crazy. Uh, the other thing I heard just this week, in fact, a poor lady who has cancer was told she can't. She needs chemotherapy. She can't start it until she sees the consultant. Mm. And she'd have to wait two months to see the consultant in the NHS. But if she goes privately, she can see him next week and then come back to the NHS to, to have chemotherapy. Right. This is just nonsense. Mm. This is a system that's completely failing its customers. And we're paying for it. Yeah. People think it's free and they treat it as though it's no. free. But it, it's £185 billion. Pounds well, I keep it's... saying to people, you know, you talk about, you know, having free delivery of the NHS and services and, 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 and medical care free to the point of use. But it isn't because about a quarter of all your income tax, yours and mine, goes to the NHS. So I'm actually paying a reasonable amount of money every single year for the NHS. And more often than not, when I go to use it, I find that I can't. You know, I went to use a dentist a few years back and they basically said to me, you should go private. We don't think we can do what you want us to do. And I'm like, great. So I've paid into the NHS all my life. And when I now want you to do something for me, you can't do it. I think the problem is we can grumble a lot. And Richard Tice was doing that earlier on. Uh, it's being constructed. What can we do to make it better? Mm. How can we do it? It's not money it needs. I think no, we agree. Definitely the not. Doctors, they'll settle in the end. I mean, it is a, a left-wing, anti-Tory rebellion, if you like. Most doctors are not interested mm. in politics and don't want to go on strike. And they've carried on. Uh, but there's a few vocal in the major- minority that want to go out there and cause trouble. Uh, but it will settle in the end, not for 35%. That is, as Richard Tice said, ludicrous yes. enough. But we've got to come to some constructive plan to, to make it work. And, uh, uh, you know, if money's not the answer, reorganisation has to be it, involving the private sector, having competition, just like when you buy glasses from an optician. The NHS has stopped dealing with glasses. It funds people my age. You can go and get free glasses if you want, but you don't go to the NHS. You go to an optician shop. You can get an appointment this afternoon. I've, I've seen them outside the shops. Appointment 245, eye testing. You try and get an appointment with a GP this afternoon, mm. you'll be struggling. Yeah. And I think we've got to get a, a much more competitive consumerist focus for the health service rather than what we have, which mm. you're not called a customer, you're called a service user. Yeah. And that's the big difference. That really is the problem, isn't it? I mean, and let's talk about the area that you know about, which is cancer care. Four in 10 cancer patients now having to wait longer than a two-month target to start treatment. Now, surely that is the real uh, crux of the matter, isn't it? Because it's when you start the treatment that affects everything else. And, and we're the only country in Europe, Mike, that has two months as a target. Mm. Everyone laughs at us in Europe. Yeah. We go to a conference in Milan, as I did uh, at the beginning of the year, and they said, this two-month target, what are you doing? Why can't you treat everyone within a week? That's right. what they aim to do in Milan. Yeah. And um, they're right, because in the two months, the cancer grows. It spreads from the organ into rose, breast, lung, colon, and so on, into surrounding lymph nodes, into other tissues, and the outcome uh, is much poorer. And there's nothing you can do about it. We have good treatments, even if it's spread, but it's not as good as getting it right early. Yeah. And so two months is too generous. And if you're not meeting that two-month target, you know that there's a, a horrible event going to come for a lot of people in two or three years' time. 
And is it possible, do you think, Carol, to kind of split the NHS up in some way so that if you wanted to address a problem in the cancer sector, you could just do that and you could then sort of try and work your way through the different areas of the, of the healthcare system? I think you could. I mean, the, the, the programme that really was fantastic was the vaccine programme mm. for COVID. That was just stole the show. It's on my app. I've got the number of the vaccines I had, all the rest of the batch numbers. It's nothing like that. You can't make an appointment with your GP. You can't change your appointment to the hospital. You can't book a CT scan. You can do nothing in the NHS. But for that, you could do everything. Volunteers, car park attendants, free car parking, yeah. all the rest of it. All the things that would make the health service great. Can't you do the same for cancer? Can't you do the same for heart disease? The, the, this, the ability to have the logistics organisation, we just don't do it. And it's not money again. It's, it's just organisation. Instead of looking at the sidelines of things that are unimportant to people, let's look at what is important to people and, and get it enacted. Yes, I think so. Very well said. Uh, Professor Carol Sakura, thank you very much indeed. Have a great weekend. Medical Director of the Rutherford Cancer Centres. Four in ten patients facing a deadly weight, as he says. Uh, why is two months a target in any event? It should be one month. Junior doctors are on strike again. That co That's costing us about a billion pounds. It's going to cost another several hundred thousand procedures, which will go down the swanee, and nobody will be able to get seen because the junior doctors say they need more money. And not just some more money, but loads more money. Apparently 12.5% isn't enough for them. And people are getting paid ridiculous amounts of money in the public sector now. Ludicrous amounts of money. And I'm not talking just about the doctors. I'm talking about civil servants on six-figure salaries. I'm talking about people that run councils who are paid half a million quid a year. You know, we cannot continue to support what is a failing industry. And you know what the failing industry is in this country? Yeah, that's right. The public sector. This is Talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We are here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we're into the second week of August and my goodness me, uh, we are still facing the same problems we were facing uh, not only in the first week of August but pretty much in the first week of August last year. Uh, the only difference, I suppose, is that this year uh, there's more doctor strikes, there's more railway strikes, there's more airline strikes, there's more uh, what might be called walking around strikes. We've got people at Gatwick who are going on strike. We're going to be talking to Simon Calder about that. Uh, we've got people having trouble getting around the roads of this country, by and large, as I said before, uh, because there's so many trucks out there delivering so many things to your house because nobody goes anywhere anymore. Everybody can't park their car, so they decide to order stuff in. I've got this from Pete in Coventry. Regarding local high street shops, I don't have a car, but I do use a bike for shopping. I can fit a week's worth of shopping in the panniers. I can stop outside the shop or market. I don't have to pay to park. Well, until somebody nicks your bike, Pete, when you come out looking for your panniers and you try and put your pan a raisin in your panniers and you can't find your panniers because somebody's walked off with them. Of course, the other problem is there's only some things you can put in your panniers. You can't put, you know, for example, a chainsaw in your pannier. You can use a bit too heavy. You can't put all sorts of things you might wish to buy, I don't know, like an air fryer. Or you can't put another bike uh, that you've bought for your kid in the pannier because it's too big. You see what I'm saying? Let's talk to Henry Bolton, uh, who is, of course, international border specialist. Uh, he's got an OBE as well. I'm reading a fascinating piece in The Times today, Henry, on the news that uh, uh, we've gone up over the 100,000 mark and a new record was made yesterday. The Greeks, apparently, are starting to push boats back physically and pushing them into Turkish international waters. So the Turks are having to rescue them. Now, how is that allowable um, if we can't do it and push our lot back to France? 
Well, Mike, there, there is a bit of a difference. Uh, the weather conditions are different and the type of vessels that the migrants are using are diff- is different. But, you know, uh, as I've been But the saying, principle is the same, right? The, the principle is the same. I mean, we, we, and the, because of the failure of the government to grip this situation and stem the flow over, uh, over the last three, four years um, or more, uh, now the cure is going to have to be a great deal more robust and, dare I say, dramatic mm. than, than it would have been before. Um, the numbers are increasing. The only reason at the moment we've got slightly fewer numbers than last year is because of the weather conditions in the Channel. I yeah. live down by the coast, down in the southeast, and the weather conditions certainly haven't been as good this year as last year. Right. And I would say if we had the same conditions, um, we would have had at least half as many again as we have had this year. So, no, the, the, the cure now, Mike, has to be far more robust and far more dramatic than it would have had to have been before. And every day that goes by makes that the case. Um, but, you know, I, I, I must say that whilst the principle is the same, and I utterly agree with it, um, the, we, we have to recognise that the situation in the Aegean in terms of weather and the type of boats that the migrants are using down there does make it a different uh, a different challenge it does it does but i mean i don't know if you've seen the the six seven pages in uh, in the times this morning but they've got pictures of a couple of the boats arriving yesterday and it makes a complete mockery of those claims that uh, the lefty lawyers make that all you know uh, there's lots of families on these boats these boats are absolutely rammed uh, with 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 young men uh, and young men only there simply isn't anybody else in fact Uh, uh, 755 people to come on 14 different vessels yesterday yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's already it's, coming in this morning, despite the wet, the poor weather conditions today. Right. Look, Mark, I, I, you know, I have to, I have to be frank here. The anybody who thinks that these people are genuine refugees is either thick or lying to themselves or us. Yeah. Um. There is, you know, I've worked this problem on the ground in the southern Balkans. Yes. People smuggling networks do not move refugees. Yeah. They move economic migrants. Um, you, the, 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 the demographic of this, this group or these people coming across the channel is so markedly different from the Albanians who... If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wentered, uh, or moved from Kosovo in, the, in, the, in 1999. So totally different from the refugees that are leaving, uh, leaving Ukraine. Mm. There we see women, children, and old men. The men, the younger men, stay behind. And th- what we see here, and Lee Anderson, uh, uh, the deputy chairman of the uh, Conservative Party, he summed it up very well yesterday or the day before. He said, look, you know, um, these people are supposedly fleeing a dangerous country and leaving their wives and children there. Yeah. Uh, of course they're not. They are economic migrants. They've come here to make money and send it home. That's what's happening. Yes. And we've got did you hear, did you hear, just while we're on the subject of ludicrous statements, did you also hear the Care for Calais people who, when they were asked about the nature of these people coming and why they were all males, they actually had the gall to say that because it's the young males who are most likely to face persecution. And as Tom Hunt MP told me, well, try telling that to the women in Bangladesh who are being raped uh, and murdered on a regular basis by people who are running camps in which they are staying, who would like to come to this country and be uh, asylum seekers, but who can't do it uh, because all the men are coming instead. Indeed. Uh, you know, somehow we have got to stop even accepting, listening to this argument that they're refugees. Let the asylum system process it, but f- but we've got to resource that asylum system properly as well. We've got to make sure that the people who are responsible for screening and, and uh, assessing these asylum claims actually have the training and the knowledge to do so. They have no knowledge of organised crime. They have no knowledge of the places that these people have come from. Not even taught knowledge. I'm not, you know, I'm not expecting them to go out there and do some sort of ground research and get some ground truth. But, but you know, they just don't have a clue what they're doing. They're following a pro forma approach, which is, which simply is not, you know, I hear every day people saying, ah, oh, yes, but 70% of these people get granted asylum. Well, Actually, that's not true because this, the backlog is so huge. But even if it were true, then they're, they're just taking for granted that our asylum system is working perfectly. Yeah. It is not. It is staffed by people, no fault of their own, who simply don't have the training and the preparation to do the job that they're doing. It's not a robust system. And that needs improving as well. I mean, you put these people in charge of any business and that business would fail. You know, if you put them in charge of the passport control section of Britain and somebody came in and said, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't got my passport with me. Is it all right if I just come in anyway? Oh, you're right. Fine. Well, technically speaking, you shouldn't really. But but I'll let you in on the basis that, uh, you know, it's just a mistake. That seems to be the way they operate. Imagine putting them in charge of the the door at a nightclub. You know, you get people (laughs) turning up absolutely smashed out of their brains carrying a bag of heroin. Yeah, you can come in. Don't worry. You're fine. What we need to do, I mean, the Albanians are a good case because they're so clear, clear cut. But there are obviously others that are, are, are close to as, as clear cut. Look, if somebody comes to our shores 
Uh, we know that they come because the language they speak, and that means we've got to have people who, who, who can assess that. The language they speak, a bit of questioning about the towns that they come from. So, again, a little bit of knowledge there. Mm. Okay. You, and you ascertain that this person comes from Albania. Fine. Maybe they say they come from Albania. Maybe they don't speak any other language. All right. But and, but we don't let them transit our immigration controls. Right. We return from there. Now, that's where I think the barges have a role as a temporary holding facility yes. for that screening. It might say, you know, and welfare and health check and so on. Yeah. Yeah, how but about you don't actually it's offer day them? Day or two or four, but then we return them directly from there. We take them, if necessary, in a secure, escorted bus mm. to an RAF airfield. We put them on a plane and we fly them back. Mm. I mean, the, the idea that we bring them in, then we accommodate them, and then we we start to assess them then is utterly ludicrous. That is not securing your borders, Mike. Oh, of course it's not. And also the idea that they're sort of offering them the opportunity to go and lie in a bunk bed in the Bibby Stockholm and they don't fancy it because for one reason or another uh, they either don't want to get on a bus or they frighten of the water or reminds them of an ISIS uh, prison camp. I don't really care about any any one of those excuses. But Mike, it's, that, it, shouldn't, is, it shouldn't be an option, should it? No, that infuriates... No, it shouldn't be. But that as well... You know, the, we, we've got some of these NGOs, these charities and so on and others and activists who are complaining that it's inhumane. There's a new group that started up on Twitter today trying to campaign on the basis that the Bibby Stockholm is inhumane. The Bibby Stockholm was a hotel in Stockholm. Yes. The Bibby Stockholm is a great deal more spacious and, and comfortable than the accommodation that we put British servicemen and women in in the Falklands for about 10 yeah. years. I mean, you know... Where were these Listen, I had, a, I had an apartment in New York. I, I had an apartment in New York in the eighties. It was less well appointed, I can tell you, and it was more expensive <laughs> as well. <laughs> well, that may be, but <laughs> well, but but you weren't. Well, anyway, we won't go there. But um, but I wasn't an illegal immigrant. I want you to know. I actually went in with a proper visa. Thank you very you, much. Yeah, you didn't come across the wall with Mexico. I did not. But, uh, you know, it infuriates me that these people who are coming out with this utter tosh are, are even listened to. You know, the fact, uh, the inhumane, rubbish. Uh, the, the migrants can't go there because they were traumatised by the weather conditions at sea crossing the channel. Yeah. Oh, what? You know, come on, give me a break. You know, the, the dynamic or the, the, the demographic of these people, they are not refugees, Mike. They are not no ifs, no buts. They are not refugees. The fact that we've got an, Im an inadequate system that just, you know, rubber stamps them through does not make them genuine refugees. And we know that now because we know that lawyers have been coaching economic migrants as to how to, to exploit the immigration, uh, the asylum system, to bypass it. Yeah. Now, again, that's another ridiculous thing. I'm a former police officer. There is an offence, conspiracy to commit an, off an offence. Yeah. That is what these lawyers are doing. And by their own words, they're, they're, they, they've, they've admitted it. Exactly. So they need to be arrested, they need to be charged, and they need to be put in front of a court. And why isn't that happening? Yeah. I, well, you know, I was going to ask you, we've had a week, Henry, of, of, of headlines, of, of front page pictures, of, you know, um, uh, rabble rousing, of all sorts of stuff. But we haven't really got anywhere, have we? The whole week, uh, we haven't made any progress whatsoever in stopping the boats. Uh, we haven't made any progress in solving the problem. And in fact, no. if anything, in a week, it's actually got worse. Indeed. I mean, we've had what probably around about three, four hundred this week in the last six, seven days 
60, I, I think, so far have come in today, despite the weather conditions. Well, we had seven, 755 people yesterday. Yeah, oh, right. Well, so th- th- that's th- those figures I haven't sort of that's checked. That's a new record. Right, it is. And look, and the uh, what we've got to recognise is that there are push factors, there are movement factors. In other words, uh, so the, 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 re- the push factor is why they leave the place that they were in in the first place. Yeah. Then there's the... the, the the moving itself, which is down to organised crime and the, the mechanics, so boats and, and, and transport and so on, how that actually functions, and uh, which has got an infinite number of points along the way in which it can be interdicted and disrupted. Um, and then you've got the pull factor. Why do they, why do they choose the UK as the destination? Now, if we don't concurrently deal with those three the is- issues, and they all break down, of course, into smaller elements but if we don't concurrently deal with a whole lot this isn't going away what we're going to end up with is the firefighting approach to accommodation bibby stockholm and hotels and so on and we are going to continue to see the 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 footage that we are seeing of people coming in to dover it is not going to change and i don't care whether you're the prime minister the secretary of state for home affairs or what what you are the that's a simple fundamental fact Mm. And then you add to that that the United Nations population, uh, um, uh, the, the population, uh, not division, but anyway, it's part of the United Nations that monitors population growth. They say that the population of Africa is going to double by 2050. Mm. Well, we know that the Africa, we've got, thing, we've got disruption now or uh, conflict now in Niger. Uh, we've got it in Mali. We've got it across the Horn of Africa in part of well, Sudan and Somalia and so on. Yeah, the, there are all sorts of reasons why we know that those governments down in, in Africa are not able to support and th- that sort of population growth. Yeah. Where are those people going to head if we don't do something about it and don't do something about it now? They're not going to China. They're not going to Canada or the United States. They will head north along established routes, migration and people smuggling routes to Europe. And a large proportion of them find themselves coming to the north French coast. The, the countries of this region must, must find from somewhere some determined leadership, some absolutely passionate leadership that's going to get ahead of this game and has the capability to plan and coalesce people to do it. Um, Because otherwise, what we're seeing now, and I'm not into fear-mongering, I really am not, but what we're seeing now is nothing compared to what we will see in 10 years. Yeah. No, it's something that has to be done and pretty damn quick because no. it's getting out of hand and massively. We've, we're Henry. lacking leadership and we're lacking courage. That's yes. the big thing. Exactly. No- exactly. Henry, listen, I've got to run. Thanks very much indeed for your time. Henry Bolton, OBE, international border expert, former police officer, of course, as well. Um, we've had a week of headlines. We've had a week of stories, of opinions, of phone calls. Nothing's changed. Uh, nothing will change until they stop the boats, physically stop them. It's the only way. This is Talk TV. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, lots of you want to talk to me and lots of you will talk to me. Uh, Ed says this, Mike, we should remind Macron and the French that they were quite happy for our troops to land on their beaches and take the flak to help them fight the Nazis, uh, but don't have the guts now to let us patrol on their beaches to help them fight people traffickers. Let's take the boats back to France and see what they do, as I believe this would bring Macron to let us patrol the beaches. Well, interestingly enough, I was listening to Kevin O'Sullivan this morning. He had a guest on who said, look, the reason that Macron... 
and the French are not particularly keen on stopping the migrants from leaving uh, or coming to this country is because they don't want to be seen to be keeping them there because that would be bad for him electorally. Because the bottom line is, is the people traffickers who are depositing people all over Western Europe are doing something that nobody wants anyone to do. Nobody wants the migrants to come here. All of these do-gooders who go, oh, but they need to have a place of rest. They need to be able to be given sanctuary. No, they're coming here because they want a better life. That may well be a nice thing for them to want, but it doesn't mean that they can have one, I'm afraid. Uh, I would like to have a Ferrari. I might like to have a mansion uh, in Epsom, but I can't just go and get one because I fancy it. That's not the way the world works, I'm afraid. Let's talk to Mike Neville, former Metropolitan Police Detective, Chief Inspector, because a couple of stories about the police. Um, a very good morning to you, Mike. The first one morning, is about this autistic teenager who um, has been the subject of a massive kind of um, uh, social media campaign, if you like. West Yorkshire Police have had to issue a statement about it. The, the bare bones of it appear to be um, that this particular uh, situation has been exacerbated by a video which has gone out um, of what looks like very heavy-handed policing of a young woman who clearly is autistic and who clearly has a few problems communicating. She may or may not have been um, in a situation earlier in the evening before this happened. Uh, we'll, we'll have a look at the video in a little while. Um, but West Yorkshire Police are saying, we are aware of a video circulating on social media, which, as is often the case, only provides a very limited snapshot of the circumstances of the incident. I mean, it's unfortunate for them, but it doesn't make them look very good, does it? Well, two things on this, Mike. Firstly, my uh, youngest daughter's autistic, and mm. she says what she sees. So if... If somebody looks like their lesbian uh, grandmother, they will simply say, you look like my lesbian grandmother. Right. They don't think of the social context. Right. The also, second I, thing about I wasn't it, aware that saying something like that was illegal, by the way. Uh, absolutely. And the second thing is that the statement says that she's been arrested for a, a homophobic public order offence. Yeah. Now, as I understand it, this conversation took place in the house, the dwelling. And the Public Order Act makes clear that the offences don't apply in a dwelling because right. it's the public order act it's, a, it's about being in public mm. and, and so this seems to me if that is the case if she if the conversation took place in the house mm. this was an unlawful arrest if they're the facts because right. the, the power of arrest simply didn't exist but i just think for away from the legal stuff when the officer says that when the mother says look she's autistic and she says i don't care that is completely unacceptable. Yeah. You know, you're supposed, as a police officer, one, you, I could be the tough guy, but you've also got to be compassionate. And I think what's happened here, there's been a bit of anger going mm. on here, and some, something's been said previously, possibly, or whatever else, and it's all come to a head, and, and this girl's been grabbed and arrested. And I'm afraid it looks like she shouldn't have been arrested at all, because, as I've said, mm. that it is not an offence. Yeah. If me and you are in my house and we have a row, that is not a public order matter because we're not in public. Right, exactly. And if, for example, some t uh, uh, some police officer has been offended or has been in some way maligned uh, and has been physically kind of attacked verbally rather than physically, um, unfortunately, you know, that's just part of the job. You know, and the police should be trained, should they not, to be maybe more tolerant than your average citizen because they are going to well, be sworn at, they are going to be called names, they might be ridiculed. You know, surely they have to be better at reacting to that. Well, absolutely, and, and that is the re that is what the courts take into account. So, what the courts will say is that the, a police police officer can't be the person offended by rude language in the like, because of course, as a police officer, you get uh, used to this. You know, my other half is a nurse, and she gets abused uh, regularly when she, uh, you know, it, it, by by drug addicts and whatever else. You call her all sorts of wicked names, but as a as a 
you know, public sector servant, you just sort of get used to it and get on with it. And, and the, the remark made, you look like my lesbian nana or whatever, yeah. it's hardly offensive at all. It's, no. from, for, it's just a statement of fact yeah, from exactly. a kid who's got autism. Exactly right. Well, let's have a look. Uh, we've got the video here. I think the first uh, start of it is, is uh, silent, um, but some viewers may find uh, the video a little bit disturbing. This is the police apparently arriving at the house uh, of the woman, uh, the young woman who basically was supposedly was arrested, I think, for or at least was detained for being um, um, drunk in the city centre, which is the only kind of fact that we've really got. Um, they, they received, the police said they received a call. It was after midnight. Uh, what we can see is one of the police officers there getting pretty worked up. She's the one that says she doesn't care that the young woman, who we're not showing because she is under the age of 16, um, is basically um, uh, having a go. She can, she, she, you can, the mother is also there sort of gesticulating, uh, talking to the police officer, trying to beseech the police officer to leave the girl alone. They don't seem to want to be talked out of it, do they? No, they don't. And I think what the public will ask is, when you saw the initial video, there were seven police officers right. there. Now, the detection rate for burglary in West Yorkshire and the, and the rest of the country is something mm. like... Five percent. Right. You know, ninety-five out of a hundred crimes go unsolved. Yeah. Ninety-nine out of a hundred thefts go unsolved. And so, rather, it's right that the police looked after this girl and she was found drunk and did a good thing and took her home rather than taking her to the cells or yeah. whatever. That's that, that's good, sensible, um, practical policing. Uh, but also, it's it's turned into an absolute ridiculous situation where you've got seven officers to arrest a seemingly a fifteen or sixteen-year-old girl. Uh, and the public will ask, why aren't they employed on better things? Mm. There was all sorts of... Uh, I looked at uh, rape, for example, stranger rape, stranger rape, that, where, when both parties are not uh, are not known to each other, only 6% in London solved. It's quite incredible. This yeah. is what officers should be working on, not arresting some girl mm. who can't help what comes out of a man. Right. And as you say, looking at the, the scene there, and, and it's inside the house, and as they say in their statement, um, officers returned to the address and heard comments which, which were uh, suspiciously homophobic and possibly against public order. As you say, none of that could be true. Um, and at the end of the day, people will look at that picture and say, well, how, how do you get that many police officers round to your house? I mean, how does it work? Well, that's right. I mean, just you get your house burgled or get robbed tomorrow or you your wife gets indecently assaulted, would seven officers turn up to, to help you? Unless you rung up and said, like, oh, I've got a gun and I'm going to start shooting everybody, then they possibly would turn up. But yeah. it, it just seems an extreme response. And I really just think um, sometimes you just need to say sorry and say, look, we made a big mistake here. Yeah. Uh, and most people accept back that. Off. And we're back off. And we need, to need, we need to sort this out right now. But any police officer worth his salt would know instantly that that is not a crime. Uh, and so why mess around even more? Because all you do is dig the, dig the hole deeper. Uh, and, Mike, the, the tragedy is this, is that the police rely on public support. I used to be told, you know, who was dealing drugs, who, who had a gun, who did this. But people don't tell you those things unless they trust you. Right. And public trust in the police is ebbing away as the, the public see this. It's, it's almost like the, the police are not on the public side. And it's it's really distressing for me because I was absolutely proud to be a Scotland Yard detective. And when you see what's happening now, you mm. just think, what in God's name is, is you know, that an officer could be offended by that. But you've got, you've got to imagine it's a whole cultural thing. The whole police 
has been uh, wokeified, you might yes. say, and promotions well, depend on not, not how many criminals you catch, but how woke yeah. you are. Well, I mean, yesterday uh, we were hearing that Sir Mark Rowley was saying that he was frustrated because there's about 200 police officers in the Met, some of whom are under suspension, uh, who are basically, in his words, bad apples, but they can't be fired. So he's asking for more um, information and more powers so that he can get rid of these rogue cops in less than sort of 10 years. Meanwhile, this morning, Surrey and Sussex police have issued a guideline to their officers who say that if they question a colleague's gender, they might be fired. Well, in the Met, you had the case of an officer who had two warrant cards. Yeah. One, one day they could turn up male and the other day female. So how can you not question that? And how can you think, who, who can these people search? You know, right. Do we send this person, if you're male tomorrow, today and female tomorrow, do you really want to go and see that child abuse victim who's autistic and seven years old who really doesn't understand what's going on here? So... Uh, what do you find? I think Harry Miller's made this point in one of the articles, who's the uh, the ex-Hull uh, policeman who took the uh, police to court for, a, for this non-hate crime incident uh, business. And he makes a point about being down a rainbow rabbit hole. Right. And what you've got is the, in the inside of the police, they're obsessed with woke. So when Sussex and Surrey released that statement, they would have thought, oh, the public will be really impressed with us that we are, we're doing this. What they don't seem to get is the public would be far more impressed if Surrey police caught more than four out of a hundred burglars. <laughs> but they, they, they are stuck in a world where they it's, it's internalised. So they, they look in, they all think the same. If you look at the chief constables, they all think the same. When, when I joined the, uh, the police, there was half of the senior officers are ex-army, uh, another half possibly ex-university graduates. Now they're entirely dominated by ex-university graduates who have a sort of liberal left view of the mm. world. Uh, and this, what this happens, though, there's not, they talk about diversity, but absolutely no diversity of thoughts. Every single one of them will have the same, you know, guardian-centred yeah. uh, view. And as I say, they would have put that statement out thinking that the public will be impressed. And they just don't get it. They no. don't get that the public want the police to deal with burglary, robbery, theft. They don't care about officers being, you know bisexual, homosexual, gay, uh, black, white, Asian. Just do the uh, job. Male or female. They just, want to they just want people to come along who are professional, who can do their job and catch the criminals who have hurt them in some way. Exactly right. Listen, Mike, sorry to uh, to run late with you there. We've got not, not enough time to talk about all the problems in the police, but there we are. Mike Neville, uh, former Metropolitan Police Detective Chief Inspector. Graham from Bushy says, it's good to see police in Yorkshire can send around seven officers to arrest an autistic girl, but didn't have any officers to protect Rishi Sunak's house from the Greenpeace protest. Well, I think that's about right. Coming up, uh, we'll take your calls. And also, Nigel Jacklin's going to join us. He's from the No to North Eye campaign. Now, that is, of course based down in Sussex, uh, where yet another migrant camp is being plotted by the Home Office. He's against it. The residents are against it. The town is against it. We'll find out what's going on. Coming up next, right here on Talk TV. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Thanks to Hugh Andre as ever for his sterling work uh, that he's doing for us here with the Veterans Voice. Simon Calder, uh, very shortly from the Independent, will give us an update on the travel business, because uh, many of you will be travelling or planning to travel soon. Kevin O'Sullivan's one of them, by the way. Uh, first, though, it's time for this. The World of Woke. Now, there's nothing worse in the world of woke than woke police. 
because what we want the police to do uh, is to wade in whenever there's a problem uh, and sort out the bad guys from the good guys, arrest the bad guys, lock them up uh, and take them to court. And hopefully the justice system will do the rest. That's all we ask. We don't ask for much. I mean, the police should not be standing with radar guns trying to do you for speeding. They should not be arresting you for calling people names on Twitter. Uh, they should not be kind of, you know, dancing with Extinction Rebellion. No, they should just be looking after the bad guys. But down, I'm afraid, in Surrey and Sussex, the police are not quite interested in that because we heard only yesterday uh, from the Metropolitan Police, Sir Mark Rowley, no less, the head and the chief of the Metropolitan Police, that they've got a couple of hundred bad apples, as they call them, in the police force. People who have committed crime, people who are uh, maybe sexual predators, people who have done terrible things with the drug business, people who should be uh, kicked out of the police but haven't yet been kicked out because apparently the police don't have the powers to do so. Many of them are on suspension Many of them have actually been convicted of crimes, but yet they're still in the police force. Down in uh, Surrey and Sussex, though, they don't have any truck with that because they're making out that they can fire you a lot quicker than they can in the Met. But they don't want to fire you for being a criminal. No, they don't want to fire you for beating up the wrong man or the wrong woman. They don't want to fire you for doing the wrong thing. What they want to fire you for is questioning a colleague's gender. That's right. According to them, uh, their guidance, which has now been issued, uh, officers are going to be accused of verbal harassment if they ask any invasive questions about an individual's gender identity. I presume that would include things like, so, John, are you a bloke or a woman? I don't know if that's offensive, but according to uh, the police down in Sussex and Surrey, um, Failure to comply may be a disciplinary offence and potentially could lead to some dismissals if a complaint is made and upheld. I mean, for heaven's sake, we don't need the woke police. We need the unwoke police. Wake up. Go and arrest the bad guys and leave the gender ideology to those other crazies who want to tell you uh, that women can have a penis and that a person with a cervix is potentially able to have a baby. We don't need it. That's the world of woke. The world of woke. Now, it's been far too long since we've checked in uh, with our travel guru, who is, of course, Simon Calder, uh, the travel editor at The Independent. Simon, a very, very good afternoon to you. I understand that you may be not a million miles away from a railway station today. Uh, always, always near a railway station. And the great news is, Mike, that I can reveal exclusively to you that as from midnight tomorrow, mm -hmm. there will not be any pending industrial action anywhere on the railways of Britain because the uh, ASLEF overtime ban ends at um, 11.59 tomorrow and there has been no further strikes or um, overtime bans or any kind of industrial action announced. Um, that doesn't mean that we're in the uh, happy position of being able to say, right, the rail disputes which have been dragging on for, what, 15, 14 months yes. now are over. Um, it probably just means that um, it's the middle of summer and um, everyone's away. But, uh, yes. uh, yeah. We, Presumably we it means that Messrs, uh, Messrs Lynch and Whelan are also on their jolly, so they've decided they don't want to go on strike because they're away. Uh, I, I think that those um, gentlemen, the, the uh, general secretaries respectively of the RMT union, Mick Lynch, and of the ASLEF train drivers union, Mick Whelan, um, I think they would they would be, um, uh, yeah, they're, they're, 
I'm sure they're possibly like other people um, in, in enjoying um, much deserved holidays. And well, uh, maybe I don't know about that, deserved. I don't know about much deserved. I had the pleasure of uh, uh, jousting with Mr. Lynch up in the Edinburgh <laughs> Festival last weekend. Yes, um, he came off worse for wear, as you would expect, um, and he had absolutely no sense of humour at all. But he was all right. Um, but I did accuse him of ruining Britain, uh, so I suppose he was almost bound to react like that. But you know, I mean, what are they? What are they doing? Because I mean, the problem for the for the strikers is that the work to rule has ruined a lot of people's travel plans. Because I I'm told by those who use the trains, and I'm not really one of them anymore, um, that now you turn up to get a train, and it's a bit of a lottery as to whether there is one. Because the work to rule means that you never quite know if it's been cancelled. You never quite know uh, if it's going to go all the way uh, that it says it's going to go. So actually a strike would be better than a work to rule. Uh, OK, interesting, interesting um, point there. Um, but I don't I, I think most people would say that the railways at the moment in the UK are pretty lousy and... <laughs> whether you're talking about a day with no industrial action at all, the stuff that's going to go wrong. And that's why it is so completely corrosive. Um, the longer this goes on, rather than just thinking, OK, how are we going to fix the terrible state of the railways, which operationally are in a right old muddle and financially are a, a mm. disaster area. Um, but we're not going to get there until the industrial disputes are settled. Basically, just a reminder of that, uh, the government said um, four years, four percent last year, four percent this year. But the four percent this year is contingent on you accepting some really quite significant uh, changes. The unions are saying, we're prepared to talk about change, but we're only going to do that if we can sell it to you. So we want another few percent for that. So um, it's we're, we're in a situation where talks haven't taken place mm. since April and there is no talks planned. And as far as I know, there's no kind of back channel talks going on. It's almost just a war of attrition with a mm. poor old commuter and the rail passenger who simply wants to get to the other end of the country to see their mum um, caught in the middle. Exactly right. Now, I understand as well there's some more action planned at Gatwick, um, I believe. I think I saw a story earlier this week that there's some kind of um, Gatwick yep. airport problem come the middle to the end of, of August. Yes, and let me tell you first of all, Mike, what the Unite Union is saying. They say there will be severe disruption across Gatwick Airport mm. starting on the 18th of August. Fortunately, I think I can reveal exclusively to you that there will not be significant uh, disruption across Gatwick on the 18th of uh, August. Um, what's, there are two groups of uh, workers who have voted to strike and who will, at things stand, be walking out a week today. Yeah. Um, they, those are ground handlers who work for a company called Red Handling. They do a handful of airlines, uh, none of the big ones, but uh, Norse, Atlantic, Norwegian, Delta, TAP, Portugal. And there's another group of workers who work for a company called Wilson James, which does all the kind of special assistance work. Now, it is, I think, very, very unlikely that those strikes will go ahead um, because what United is doing is basically calling a strike, saying, oh, it's going to be an absolute disaster. And then sorting out the uh, uh, some talks and then there's a slightly improved offer and then the Unite Union says, hey, it's all great. Mm. But I think there is something corrosive at work here, Mike, which is that if you keep saying it's going to be a total mm. disaster at Gatwick, 
people either won't fly or they'll fly yeah. from somewhere else where there isn't a unite strike being called True. every seven minutes. Well, this is it. People get tired of the rhetoric, don't they? They just go, well, you said that last time and it wasn't a problem. So actually, I'm not that bothered. That's why I think these strikes have fewer and fewer effects on people. And may, many people are just kind of working around it all. You know, because who would have thought if you and I had had a conversation 15 months ago to say there are going to be strikes on the railways for 15 months and actually nobody's going to care because that's kind of where it is. <laughs> I mean, I said this to Mick Lynch last week, and I said, because of your train services being so useless, I flew up here, so British Airways got my money, uh, and your uh, rail companies didn't. Um, so you're killing the business. You're ending up, you know, making people move away from that mode of transport. But there we are. I don't suppose he and I will ever see eye to eye. Fascinating piece that you've got, uh, I want to talk about before we finish up. Uh, extra costs of going places like Lake Como. <sighs> Um, extraordinary um, methods that they've come up with in, in Italy of charging extra money for things like cutting up a sandwich. Tell, well, tell us what that's yes. about. Yes. OK, so this is a British traveller. He's in a beautiful uh, part of Italy, Lake Como, mm. in the far north of the lake, uh, at the Bar Pace, the Peace Bar. And um, he's with a companion and they want a toasted sandwich they don't want a whole one each they'll split it and therefore uh, the proprietor says right that'll be an extra two euros for cutting the sandwich in half at which point he gets quite cross <laughs> um and so i've been looking at the various extra charges that you are going to get in italy and elsewhere fair to say that um i think um uh, yeah, I go to Italy all the time. Wonderful country. Mm. The vast majority of people are as honest as the day is long and just want you to have a great time. However, if you want a cup of coffee in St. Mark's Square in Venice, then be very careful because not only is it going to cost you probably a minimum of 12 euros, so 10 pounds. Wow. If the band strikes up while you are <laughs> drinking your coffee, then that's an extra six euros or a fiver on your bill and there will be a note somewhere on the price list but that's likely to be hidden away from you and you're not going to see it so there's the 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 you need to watch out for that you need in other parts of is the there world, any you any way you can refuse to pay it i mean if you say look i didn't ask for the band i don't want the extra six euros uh, put on there so you can get stuff can you do that uh, i don't think you could although personally i would pay to watch you have that discussion uh mike with uh, with, with the um proprietor of uh, one of those um, yeah. upmarket cafes no what you you do is you nip around the corner and you have your one one euro fifty espresso um standing up at a bar yes uh, so, so there's also the um imposta uh, da soggiorno or the accommodation tax and that's uh, basically one euro per star per day per person mm. and what's that translate to well if you're staying in a five-star hotel in rome which i know that you would be doing for a week that's an extra 70 quid on top yes we've just started doing the same thing in manchester but it's only a pound per night per room and well that's all, all it's worth way, to be honest <laughs> I, I think that's very unfair um, i got hit and, by this you know i went to new york a few uh, years ago to do a show uh, and we stayed in a, in a very sort of what you might regard as what was a formerly sort of upmarket, but now relatively modest middle market hotel uh, in the centre of Manhattan. And we, as we checked out, we were all hit with a $30 a night um, tax, Resort which nobody had told yeah. us about. And it was, I think there was no. four people and it was four rooms and we were there for three nights. It was ridiculous, it was like an extra $1,000. 
Oh, sure. Yeah, the resort fee is absolutely evil. Um, yeah. President Trump liked it so much. He's a hotelier that yeah. he tried to bring it in at his Turnberry Resort yeah. in Scotland. Yes. Until I said, um, actually, uh, you're not allowed to do that. Uh, it's against Quite British right, law. Um, but And now Joe Biden says he's going to outlaw resort fees. But they are very, very nasty. I mean, America is the land of the hidden charge. Yeah. And they actually have, for a long time, had a split plate charge mm. and that means that if you and i do go out for a sandwich and we actually only want half of one each they they will certainly serve that to us but then they're going to charge us an extra five dollars and you're going to be paying tax at a tip of a minimum of 18 percent on mm. top of that oh as well. I, I know the so it's your there shout mike yeah absolutely right yeah. The, the sandwiches are massive though so you can actually split one between about five um, so if you bring enough people with you, it all works out fine in the end. Well, listen, Simon, great to see you. And uh, somebody's asking me why you're sat in front of a giant bourbon cream biscuit. I'm sure that's ah, probably okay. not the case. But it looks no, a bit not. like it's, that. No, I'm trying to get the best quality, <laughs> possible quality for you in terms of uh, both sound and yes. light. But you'll be the one who decides whether that is the case. But um, yes, no, no, I wish it were a biscuit anyway. Thank no, you. it's been brilliant. Uh, and your sound and vision have been perfect. So thank you very much indeed. We'll see you soon. Simon Calder, uh, travel correspondent from The Independent. Amazing. Some of those hidden charges. You might have to do a whole show on that. You know, what, is, what have you been charged for going and doing something overseas or even here uh, that was absolutely and utterly un, uh, unexplainable and un understandable? Very odd. Imagine ordering a sandwich and just because you want to share it with someone and getting charged extra. That's bonkers, isn't it? Uh, this is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.